Hey everyone, this is Dan. Just wanted to share that this week's story contains notions of suicide and self-harm, so this episode might not be for everyone. And if you're in a difficult spot or you know someone who's going through a rough patch, I just wanted to share that the National Suicide Hotline number is 988. Again, the National Suicide Hotline number is 988. San Francisco, September 2000. Kevin Hines steps into the bus and begins walking to the back. While he's doing so, the voices in his head are trying to convince him that he is making the right decision. You see, Kevin was struggling with a depressive phase brought on by his bipolar disorder. As people got on the bus, Kevin eagerly stared at them, promising himself that if just one person spoke with him, he'd tell them of his plan to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge free fall for four seconds reaching terminal velocity and hitting the water 25 stories below. All that person would have to do was just ask how he was doing. Time passed by as Kevin sat silent and alone. Eventually he reached his stop, taking one last glance to see if anyone was gonna ask how he was doing. He stepped outside feeling the cool breeze coming off the San Francisco Bay. As landlords, we sit in a unique position. We provide safe and comfortable housing, houses where people come home from work, they raise a family in and build plans for their future. And while we might have a good understanding of how the property is doing physically, we don't always know how well our residents are doing. This week we hear from a landlord out of Los Angeles who saw flashing lights and sirens from his ADU with police, firefighters, and paramedics racing to the primary house in front. In a story we call Blood. There's no risk. And she moved a homeless guy in, and then she bit him, and... There's no risk. You don't really expect somebody to go burn down their own place. You guys want mailbox money? Enough water accumulates on second floor, boom, collapses into the first floor. Being a landlord is so 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 easy. Just get into real estate, baby. Today's episode is brought to you by Steadily Insurance. Steadily is a insurance company that focuses on us, on landlords. And what's kind of crazy is that we've got all these properties, right? And each property has multiple points of failure. I mean, just think about your pipes, right? All the water that goes through the walls on the interior walls and those PVC or copper, God forbid, galvanized pipes. And it's probably fine. Right, it's probably perfectly fine, but all it would take is a little nick from somebody hanging a picture frame using a nail that's a little bit too long, right? Goes in, nicks one of those pipes, and all of a sudden you've got a pinhole flood that is slowly seeping through your walls, the sheetrock, the electrical. It could keep you up at night. So that's why it's important to have really good insurance. Check out Steadily. They are a great insurance company for us landlords. Use our link, resilientrei.steadilypartner.com. That's resilientrei.steadilypartner.com. My name is John Gregorchuk. I'm a landlord in Los Angeles. Yeah, I got my start in real estate as a a little kid. Uh, My dad is a developer, builder in LA, vertically integrated, so... He designed, build, runs the construction site. He swings a hammer, um, and then we would own and manage the property. So all growing up as a kid, 
I would be sweeping floors and and working through on construction sites and in apartments. As I grew up, I got to see the the downsides of real estate when there's a bad economy. And uh, my dad really wanted us to go to school, have stable jobs. So went to USC. I'm an SC grad, did accounting and business. And I got a W-2. And on the side, I started doing real estate. So that's kind of how I got my my first start in 2014 with my first house. I built, I saved up all my money, brought in all my roommates, and then built ADUs in the back and would rent those out uh, as it as it came along. Uh, I tell my friends that I became an accidental activist in 2016 when the city shut down ADUs across Los Angeles. Thankfully, we were able to get ours grandfathered in, then the state laws changed. But yeah, I've just been building uh, single family homes, ADUs, and now I'm making a transition into larger developments with a 27 unit uh, affordable housing project. So this story starts in 2018. My wife and I, um, we, we purchased a property while we were, we were engaged. Um, and I built out an ADU. It was, uh, we had a December Christmas wedding and I got CFO and refinanced the entire house, uh, right before, right before our wedding. So our ADU was a, a back house behind a traditional single family home. It was a little two bedroom, two bath. And up front, we had a Spanish style, 1200 square foot, two bedroom, one bath up front. So yeah, it was a cute, cute little house. We were able to get it rented super easily. It's a very trendy, hip, up and coming neighborhood, which most people who aren't familiar with Los Angeles would probably think it was really dangerous, a sketchy area, but it's, it's kind of insane how how much growth there's been. For those of you who know, it's called West Adams. But yeah, so over time we found great tenants. Um, we had a tenant who we had a lot in common. So a bunch of common interests, entrepreneur, doing really amazing things, working really hard. And he wanted to come in. He needed a house in in our area where he could get fiber internet and, and have uh, easy access to everything that uh, LA had to offer in terms of entertainment and uh, the entertainment industry, I would say. Over time, uh, our relationship grew and everything seemed totally fine. My wife and I, we lived in the back house. Uh, we we would access it through an alley. So I, I used to call it my private gated community um, to get to our ADU, but uh, we kind of minded our own business. So we, we put a fence between the two houses and we were friendly, waved, said hi, chatted whenever we saw each other. Um, but other than that, we kind of stayed, we try to keep things pretty separate. One evening, there were flashing lights uh, outside our house for quite a while. And it is Los Angeles, so it's not uncommon to have sirens and flashing lights. Um, but it is uncommon for them to stick around. So we kind of assumed, okay, maybe there's a homeless guy, something happened and they're working on him or, or, or maybe a car accident. We weren't sure. But when the lights didn't go away, we kind of peeked through the window and that's when we saw flashlights kind of shining on the side of the house. We thought, okay, that's a little weird. So looking through the window, this was probably 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. I stepped out and realized, oh, there's a whole bunch of people in the front house with flashlights and, and walking around. And so that's when, that's when I, I told my wife, hey, there's, uh, there's something going on with, with the front house, with the tenant up front. As we stepped out of the house we saw our tenant being wheeled out in a 
stretcher. I don't know how or why, but something about the color of his skin, something about just the demeanor of everyone around, it uh, it gave us like a gut-wrenching feeling. So just just where that kind of feeling where this is you, you know this is bad uh, and you can't explain why, but it's it's really bad. We watched as he was wheeled down uh, down the porch stairs and into the ambulance. And we got some hope, I think. I don't know if it actually happened or if I was imagining it, but it looked like um, our tenant was, was moving. And that was like a, a sigh of relief um, that there was at least some kind of movement. So once he was loaded up into the, the ambulance and the, the ambulance took him away, that's when we started talking to police officers who were at the house. Um, so the house, uh, when we first came out, the house was, there was um, a fire engine in front, an ambulance in front, all the engines running, all the lights on. So it was very noisy, very chaotic. As our tenant was kind of wheeled away, the fire truck left, the ambulance left, and all that remained were probably about four or five police cars and probably it felt like 10 to 15 police officers. So we were kind of like, wow, well, what's going on? So talking with the police officers, they let us know that they got a 911 call that uh, that our tenant tried to commit suicide, changed his mind, and called 911. Unlocked, told 911 that he he's unlocked the front door and asked if they could come and get him. Part of the reason the police were called is when paramedics arrived, um, they weren't convinced that someone could do uh, what he did to himself on his own. The amount of damage uh, that was done seemed a little too much for them to, to believe. So the police were sticking around to do a full investigation just in case, um, just in case something nefarious was, was up. Talking with the police, uh, we stayed with the police probably um, the whole evening. So probably until about two o'clock in the morning. So we were having kind of small talk with them. It was a little unnerving how cavalier they were. Um, they were telling us uh, everything that could have gone wrong. They were telling us how we shouldn't enter the house, how how bad it is inside. They asked how well we knew the tenant and we kind of told them what, what I've told you all. It's weird. I, I call everybody I know a friend, um, so I call this guy a friend. Um, said hi, hang out, you know, just just the a little. <laughs> maybe I'm a little more than most, more involved than most landlords. We made a comment to the police officers that, like, wow, we we would have no idea if he didn't call. Like how how important it was that he called, so that someone could get him help. This was the beginning of the month, and as dark as it sounds. Like he paid rent and we kind of leave everybody alone. We try and mind our own business. And even though we live at the same house, we would have had, we would have had no idea. Um, and the police officers are very cavalier in telling us that, oh, we would have known. It just, we would have found out maybe a week or two later. And they went on to describe in detail how we would have, uh, the sense the that we would have been smelling from our house after uh, if he was able to to go through with with everything that went down so 
With that being said, um, the police actually, because they weren't sure that someone could do as much damage as they did to themselves, they stuck around um, the whole night. And one of the things they had to do was call the hospital and get hourly reports to see how the, the tenant was doing. They were convinced that the tenant would pass away. And so they needed a time of death and then they needed to secure the home so that they could complete an investigation in case it was a homicide instead of a suicide. At about 2 a.m. is when the police said, hey, we don't think he's gonna make it. We have to stick around. Um, at this point, there were only two officers left. We have to stick around to secure the house. You guys don't need to stay up with us if you don't want to. And the, the officers actually offered, they said we could, go, we could go in, we could go to sleep, and if they heard anything or if they were leaving, that they would wake us up and let us know uh, the details. So my wife and I did our best to, we went back in, we did our best to, to sleep. I, I really can't remember much. I don't think it was very easy to sleep. My wife and I um, were both Christians and our faith is super important to us. And this is a tenant who, like, <laughs> it's weird to say, but like, these are, these are people who, who we love and care for. And so my wife and I, we pretty much spent the night just in prayer until we fell asleep. I think once once we kind of started dozing off, it was around four or five o'clock in the morning when the police officers knocked on our door to wake us up and let us know that um, that our tenant was was actually in stable condition, that the doctors in the emergency room were able to patch all the holes and 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 get them to a point where they suspected that uh, that he would be able to make a, a recovery, at least at least live the night. The the tenant we were told was in a, a medical coma, so he was like not able to really communicate or function. And we were told which hospital he was in, and that's when uh, the the police officers left and uh, they let us know to not go into the house just just for our own sanity because of how uh, I guess scary it was inside the house. We're landlords, right? So we're trying to figure out what what do we do next? How do we how do we clean up this house? Like, if he is okay, how do we make it so that he doesn't come home to a a house covered in blood and and everything that would remind him of a horrible situation? We asked the police, "Hey, like, who cleans this up?" And the police <laughs> the police had no answer for us. They they were like, "Oh, you know." The fire department, if it's a car accident or if someone gets hit on the street, like they'll hose off the street. I'm like, okay, are they going to hose off my house? Uh, and the police kind of, <laughs> like, no. And so they recommended we call ServPro um, and other like just big name, like emergency cleanup services. We, we were young bootstrapping landlords. So we had no, no big savings or, um, or like a, a big reserve. So we weren't sure, and we weren't sure if our insurance would cover it. We do have landlord policies. So we called around and we got quotes. And <laughs> the big guys whose commercials you see on television um, were extremely expensive. And we were terrified to, to do that. Um, and we actually found a small mom and pop business called EcoBear. And the, the reason we went with them is the owner, Ray, he actually publishes kind of like a blog attached to his business. And he went through some incredibly traumatic situations, probably worse than, than the story that I'm describing now. 
And he essentially uses his cleanup business as like a, a way to help others and give back and really work with people who are going through a similar situation. We gave him a call. He was probably a third the price of the big guys. And he came out. Well, while we were coordinating all of that, my wife is a mental health professional. So she's been working in uh, psychiatric hospitals for probably about 10 years. So she's seen a lot of situations very similar to this. I had no idea uh, how we were going to break the news to our tenant's parents who were on his application. So we were able to find their contact information. My wife's a mental health professional, so she has experience dealing with situations like this. She's had patients in her, for the majority of her career, she worked in locked uh, mental health rehabilitation centers. And so she kind of used, leaned into that expertise to call the mom, be very direct. She started by just saying exactly the status of the tenant. So he's okay. He's alive. Then she let the mom know what had happened, um, that the tenant had attempted suicide, but was okay. And then she let the mom know which hospital uh, the tenant was taken to. Giving that basic information, obviously it's a mom and she cares about her son. Like you, you could be 40, 50, 60 years old. If your mom's still around, she's gonna care about you. So they were probably about six hour, a six hour drive away um, and they came immediately. So they got in their car, mom, dad, some uncles, <laughs> everybody they had uh, kind of converged on the house. Uh, we had the cleanup company come uh, right away and, and so while the parents were coming down, the house was being cleaned. The way the cleanup worked with Eco Bear and Ray, like I said, Ray is super therapeutic with how he goes through uh, with the cleanup. And so he was, was very kind and let us know his experience and that he would go through, look at the house and, and give us an assessment. And then if we wanted to, he could walk us through together to kind of see what was going on. He would let us know what, how he would clean it. And so we took him up on that, that offer. Um, Ray walked the property, uh, everything inside, documented uh, everything that he could, took pictures of all the rooms and the different areas where uh, there was blood kind of throughout the house. He took us into our own house, I guess our tenant's house, and showed us around, uh, pointing out what had happened and we had told him what the police had told us. And essentially, our tenant, he did not want to be a burden on anyone. So he had paid rent on time. Um, he closed out all of his bills. And then he decided to attempt suicide in the bathtub, I think in an effort to make cleanup as easy as possible. Uh, when, when we arrived, it was a, a horrible sight. Like horrible. It wasn't as bad as the police said, but it was horrible. Um, the bathtub was completely filled with what looked like blood. It was it was water and blood. Um, the bathroom was uh, the bathroom was completely covered in um, blood on the walls from just when it's when when he changed his mind, thankfully, and got up. Everywhere he walked, there was pools of blood every, every step he took. And so that was really, really tough to see. And I, I'm very thankful that uh, 
Ray had the experience that he had and was able to just calmly explain everything that he would do to clean it up and how to work through it. And he even talked about how to how to talk with the family and how to work through that, which was which was <laughs> way more. I don't think I don't think the guys at Serve Pro are going to do that for you. And so the way the cleanup worked, uh, Ray cleaned up all the hard surfaces and then all areas of carpet just for for landlords, just so you're aware when this happens. Uh, if you have carpet, your carpet uh, gets cut out. Um, any blood that goes through the pad, the pad gets cut out and any blood that goes onto your subfloor. If it's bad, your subfloor gets removed. Um, if it's not as bad, your subfloor gets sterilized, cleaned, and then painted with a, a sealer. So Ray went through, he did that for the whole house. Um, and he was able to get that done, uh, incredibly fast. So by the time the parents arrived and family members arrived, they must've gone to the hospital first, but by the time they arrived at at the house. The house uh, was fairly clean. The bathtub was spotless. The bathroom was spotless. Um, the house was cleaned of any any evidence that something happened. The only inclination that anything went down at that house was the carpet had holes missing um, throughout the hallway and in the living room. And so you could tell the carpet had been cut um, and the subfloor was exposed and painted. When the family arrived, they let us know actually how hard it, it is to find somebody in a hospital when it's a large city like Los Angeles. So our tenant had no ID on them, obviously, at the time. And so they were admitted to the hospital as a John Doe. And what that meant is even though the parents knew exactly what hospital he was in, the hospital had no record of the tenant by their name. And... <laughs> Unfortunately, in Los Angeles, if you ask for, if you ask the hospital, it's someone who came in with multiple stab wounds in Los Angeles, they'll tell you, yeah, we get 10 or 20 of those a day. And so they, they called every hospital in the local area because they, they thought he wasn't at the original hospital. Eventually they were able to find him and it was, it was an ordeal, but you can only imagine how it feels for a parent to see that their son is is at least alive, but how traumatic that whole situation must have been. When everybody got back to the house, I will say one of the most special moments was meeting the tenant's family for the first time and being able to gather in the front yard on the front lawn and just pray together as complete strangers. Um, complete strangers, but like united in a, a common faith, I would say. And so um, that was probably the most powerful moment. Just uh, aunts, uncles, mom, dad, uh, everybody who was who was somewhat close. Um, I tried to make it and uh, and be there. And so as a landlord, I feel like you have an obligation to just take care of the property, take care of the home. Um, and I would say my landlord hat was probably off at that point. And then it was just, just a human, just a friend, um, just somebody who has a family in front of them. Who's really struggling with something horrible. Um, yeah, for, for my wife and I, that's, that's kind of where, where the story ended 
for us in terms of the the pure trauma. The recovery began after that. Um, our tenant thankfully made a full recovery. Uh, his family, incredibly supportive. He was able to get help, get treatment. He was able to be released from the hospital. And he actually made a full recovery. And for our, my wife and I, it was, it was kind of incredible. Uh, I know for me personally, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if he'd be returning. <laughs> I didn't know if I needed to let him out of his lease, like what the legal, if I'm legally required to do anything. I, I had no idea what that process was. All I told, I told his family, I told him, I said, please don't worry about anything at all. Like, please don't worry about rent. Don't worry about like repairs. Don't worry about, please don't worry about anything at all. Figure out what you need. Let me know and we'll go from there. We can figure everything else out later. His family was incredible. They, they said, no, don't, no, this isn't, this isn't your fault. This isn't your responsibility. Like we'll, we'll take care of everything. If, if he owes you any back rent, if he owes you any utilities, let us know, like, we'll cover all that. I said, no, no, he's, he's fine. Like he, he paid his rent. Like I don't have any, he doesn't owe me anything. Um, his family paid for, um, for the repairs and anything that wasn't covered. Uh, our insurance provider was, was phenomenal actually. So if you have a landlord policy, you can call your agent, but I would just call the, the company itself. Um, the claims department, uh, they, they covered everything and they were, it was fast. It was easy, but yeah, that's when, that's when we started putting all the pieces back together, um, for the property. The family was super helpful. The tenant made a full recovery. The tenant ended up staying at the house, um, for, I want to say maybe two more years until ultimately they found another spot and, uh, and moved. But, uh, it's kind of nice as a landlord to see, tragedy, but then see how people recover, how families um, align around each other and then, and see people grow and, and move on to, to bigger and better things. I will say if I was to go over kind of what I would recommend for landlords, um, the number one thing is just be kind be kind and loving to your tenants. This is their home. This is where they live. This is where they, they come to rest. And this is where their families gather. So just, just be kind and loving with your tenants would be my number one takeaway. And then from there, get to know your neighbors, be friendly, have people who you can lean on and rely on. On a lighter note, if you can afford it, uh, don't live at the same property as your tenants. <laughs> It, uh, it could bring a lot of stress uh, and a lot of uncomfortable conversations. Um, so if you can afford it, maybe uh, you can, once you can afford it, maybe turn off the house hacking. And then on a more serious note, uh, I would say to anybody, if you know somebody or if you yourself are ever considering suicide, I would, I would just Obviously, I'm a stranger. You don't know me. Um, I'm a landlord, probably one of the most hated careers uh, you can have in today's world. But if that's something you're considering, just I just I beg you as a stranger who doesn't know you, I just beg you, please don't. Um, 
do anything uh, to stay away from that if you can. Uh, move cities, like cut everybody out of your life if you have to. Start over. Go be a hermit. Go 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 do anything other than uh, uh, suicide. I just I just want to make sure that uh, if that's something you're considering, there's there's somebody out there who loves you perfectly, um, even if you don't know him yet. So um, I guess the, the plugs I would give you, if it's an emergency situation, just call 911. If it's uh, about to be an emergency situation, there's 988. And if you can, and if these thoughts are something that keep recurring, I would, I would just strongly recommend um, reaching out to professionals, either therapists or rehabilitation centers or group therapy. There's, there's things that can, can really help. Um, so from, from one strange landlord to another, uh, or to a stranger on the other end of this, I just strongly encourage you to, to, to keep fighting for just one more day. In the first ad, I mentioned how Steadily can help protect you against things just going wrong. And I mentioned how there could be a leak. But water sucks, but it's not the only thing that can go wrong. Let's say that that water hits a live wire and now you've got a fire. So your rental is both flooding and burning down at the same time. You know, just try and explain that to an insurance agent who splits their time between covering motorcycle, RV, pet, life insurance, and home insurance. Now that might take some convincing as to how your house is both on fire and underwater. Which is why Steadily is a great insurer because they only work with landlords. So when you're talking to that agent, you're probably not the only fire-flood combo they've had that morning. Check out Steadily. Use our link, resilientrei.steadilypartner.com. That's resilientrei.steadilypartner.com. You know, John, uh, I'm kind of curious what it was like when you first interacted with the tenant when he came back from the hospital. You know, what was that conversation like? Yeah. um, Yeah, when he came home, um, that was a, a question my wife and I had where we weren't sure. I'm lying. I guess that was a question I had. My wife, um, she's dealt with this her entire career, so... She's, she kind of gave me advice, just ignore it, just act like nothing happened. When the tenant was finally released from the hospital, uh, he was able to walk on his own, move on his own. And uh, he was kind of a joker a little bit. So he kind of just pointed out the obvious scars, um, the obvious bandages, and, and just kind of, well, that's, that's, that's me now. Sorry, guys. And so he kind of softened it by, by trying to make light of it. It's not a very light uh, subject, but we all just kind of acknowledged it and then tried not to stare um, and just let him know that whatever he needs, we're here and we're, we're happy to help. Um, his family was still there. So that kind of made everything a little easier. He didn't come to the house alone. Um, he came with his family and we were all kind of, able to to meet up and and kind of go through by the time he came home uh i have a relationship with our our flooring installers i 
told them what happened, told them of the emergency situation. And so by the time he came home, he had new carpet, um, everything was replaced and his home was put back together uh, as much as possible. So we tried to make it look like nothing had happened, but I let him know if he wants to stay, he's welcome to stay. If he wants to leave, no hard feelings like and, and no, no stress at all. I think that you might be the last person to, to really hear this, but did he ever share with you like a motive or, or reasoning? Uh, I feel like if I was in your position, all I would think about is, you know, he sounds like a great guy. Like what kind of led to this? Yeah. So eventually, eventually we did talk about it. I would say it's not my landlord hat. So he, as part of his healing process, he um, really started questioning the beliefs he currently had and started looking into kind of those those meaning of life questions why do i keep why should i keep fighting those actually led to conversations between the two of us uh, around faith and around religion and around our upbringings and so that's where i'd say the friend hat came in not the landlord hat and so uh, yes i i did hear the backstory it's not really my story to tell but the the tldr is young entrepreneur everything uh going for him lots of really close friendships supporting him along the way and business friends and life were all intertwined and collapsed at the exact same time and so a lot of us landlords were entrepreneurs and uh, people talk about diversifying um, investments. And we say, yeah, I have properties in these three different cities. I'm diversified. Um, when you're an entrepreneur, you put your whole life, your heart and soul into something. So his, his friends, his family, his uh, business, were all, uh, were all twisted together. And um, uh, they all came crumbling down right at the same time. Um, and it wasn't, a lot of uh, like a breach of trust um, so much so that it, uh, yeah, it led to, to that situation. You, you just can't compartmentalize. I mean, everything just gets, gets intertwined together. Um, I, I just can't imagine just, it's like your whole world just kind of, kind of, kind of falls apart seemingly before your eyes, which is just, just so incredibly sad. You know, he, he said that he was kind of a, a jokester and was kind of joking it. And I, in a weird way, I can see that's how I would kind of approach that situation. Trying to be funny when you're not really supposed to be funny is kind of my nervous or outlet for stress, I guess. Um, but do you think that that helped any? Like in, in your conversations, you know, I guess in kind of, okay, we're kind of going back to normal. We're kind of coming back to a sense of normalcy between the two of us. I'm someone who does the same thing. So I think for me, it did make it easier because it was, Hey guys, it was essentially an invitation to say, Hey guys, it's okay. I know this happened. We can talk about it. It's, it's all right. Like that's, that's how I interpreted it. I think if you were to ask if that's a good strategy long-term, I'm not the person who could answer that. Um, as somebody who who uses that strategy to survive on a daily basis, um, it's it's worked okay for me so far. But uh, I don't 
we'll have to we'll have to see if it stands the test of time. Fair, fair enough. Um, when you're talking about the the police officers and you know they're there and they're thinking that this might be a homicide, you know I watch so much true crime. It's like one of my guilty pleasures: true crime documentaries and podcasts. And I would feel that if I was in your shoes, I might be like, "Hey, hold up." I'm the landlord. I live on the property. Am I potentially a suspect here? Did that ever enter your mind in communicating with the, the police? I don't think it did, to be honest. Um, you know, maybe, maybe at, at, at first, um, when they started asking me, um, where we were, uh, how we found out, why we were talking to them through a locked gated alley and <laughs> what we were doing there. Maybe I think there was just so much going on that, uh, it, it really, it really wasn't, uh, something that crossed my mind. I think maybe it should have, <laughs> but it, it didn't at the time. I don't think, I guess it's a little bit of a, I don't know, a selfish thought, like how is this impacting me? So it's probably, probably for the best that you, you know, there was other stuff going on. John, I've got one last question here before I get into the final question, final two questions that I ask all of my guests, but it's, this doesn't seem like it's dissuaded you all that much, right? I mean, I, I'm making light of it a little bit, but you're, it sounds like you're continuing being an investor. It doesn't sound like you, you know, completely divested. If that's still the case, if I'm right on that, have you adjusted your business at all or, or how you interact with tenants or how you screen tenants at all? after after going through this yeah i'm i'm still a landlord um i i picked up three more units after after that situation so yeah it didn't dissuade me i don't think you can screen for this um i don't think you should screen for this even if you can um tactically uh i now get emergency contact information for all of my tenants regardless of their age whether they're student rentals or um, grown adults or families uh, just just in case other than that it's uh, tac it's just the tactical changes <laughs> making sure you have that emergency contact information because it was a fluke that I even had it um, I normally um, my w2 career is I deal a lot in data privacy and so when it comes to applications there's a lot of personal information in there and my go-to strategy is if you have personal information, get rid of it. Um, and you can't lose it and you can't breach trust if you don't have information. So my default for the longest time was to remove all that information. And for some reason, I still had his to be able to contact, uh, um, to have an emergency contact. So tactically, make, make sure you have someone you can call um, if a tenant goes missing, if, uh, if something happens at the building. Yeah, not being able to, not knowing where a family member is or not having anybody tell you what happened if a building caught fire or something. I realize how important that kind of stuff is now. You never really think about a situation where your life potentially depends on on that contact and that, that phone number. One digit being off or you misremember it or something or that person doesn't pick it up could make all the difference. But John, I'd like to get into the last two questions that I ask every single one of my guests. And the first one is, has real estate been a net positive or net negative on you financially? 
a very definite net positive. And then my final question, what would you tell somebody who's thinking about getting into real estate, thinking about becoming a landlord, and we've just sat through that that very harrowing story. And again, they're still thinking about becoming a landlord, still thinking about getting into real estate. What would you tell them? I would tell them that real estate, whether you're a landlord, a developer, doing fix and flips, is a career that is riddled with hurdles. And there will be hurdles and roadblocks and traps and disaster everywhere you look. And so if you're somebody who can roll with the punches and and tough it out, then stop thinking and just jump in and buy your first property. If risk scares you, then I would get a stable W-2 job and stay there and be comfortable. But if you're willing to take risk, get involved, and really shepherd your investments, then jump into real estate because it's, to me, it's the easiest way to build wealth and support your family in a way that can be be lasting. To paraphrase, it doesn't sound like it's all that passive. It's not the get-rich-quick scheme that every guru says it is. Yeah, real, real passive. That was a... <laughs> Really, really passive. <laughs> Sorry, when, when people say that, I I used to just accept it as just like, okay, yeah, whatever. But now I now I push back quite a bit when people say that real estate is a passive investment. <laughs> Stay off TikTok. Stay off TikTok. It's 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 full of it. And then uh, it's it's funny how they all they all say it's so easy and so passive, but you know they've got this lengthy, expensive course that you have to you have to buy to actually learn the tricks and tips. John. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing sharing this story. I know it was not the easiest thing to, to relive. If people like the cut of your jib, where can they find you? Right now, I, I just joined um, the real estate Twitter. So retweet. You can just find me with my full name, JM Gregor Chuck, um, at Twitter. Feel free to reach out, DM me, um, anything you need. Uh, yeah, that's probably the best way to contact me. I'll have the, the link in the show notes if people want to reach out and follow you. John, thank you again for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate you sharing that story. Awesome. It's great to be here. Thank you. So many people see real estate through a spreadsheet, moving potential income to realized income. And while spreadsheets are great for calculating vacancy, capex, and cash flow, they struggle to reflect when just life happens, when a beautiful night takes a turn for the worst. Shifting gears, you might be curious about what happened to Kevin Hines as he started walking down the Golden Gate Bridge back in 2000. Well, he kept the deal with himself open, that if anyone was going to ask how he was doing, he'd bare his soul, telling them of his pain, his plans, and that he needed help. Unfortunately, no one asked him. Kevin would later reflect that as soon as his fingers slipped from the railing, he was consumed with regret. He fell 220 feet, that's roughly a 25-story building, before slamming violently into the water. In immense pain, Kevin realized that he was not dead. Far from the instant death that he assumed, his body was broken, but he was still alive. Now, he was not out of the woods yet. The San Francisco Bay is notorious. The currents are strong and cold, 
drowning was a real peril even for strong and healthy swimmers. Kevin was struggling to keep his head above water until he felt something weird, something slimy, and then he felt some pressure actually lifting him up above the water. It took him a few moments to realize that it was a sea lion critically keeping his head above the rolling waves coming in from the Pacific Ocean. And that sea lion stayed there just long enough for the Coast Guard to rescue Kevin. Since his ordeal, Kevin has been a champion for those struggling with mental illness and depression. For the past 20 years, he's been touring the country telling his story about how he immediately regretted letting his fingers let go of that steel railing, reminding everyone how important it is to ask how people are doing, because you just never know. If you or anyone you know is suffering, please let them know that you care and let them know that they matter. As a quick reminder, the National Suicide Hotline number is 988. Do you have a crazy story about being a landlord? We want to hear it. Use the link in our bio and record a 60-second pitch right off your phone. No fancy camera or microphone needed. Or you could shoot us a DM on Twitter at ResilientREI. This episode was written and produced by me, Dan, from Resilient REI. Sound design coming from MZ Studios out of hotter than hell, Dallas, Texas. Hello, my name is Daniel Finzel. I'm a home flipping realtor from Texas who has turned numerous homeowners into landlords. Please remember, being a landlord is not passive, but don't let these stories dissuade you. Every challenge does have a solution. You will figure it out. Just keep making things happen. Thank you.